0: Freedom Hut.
1: The U.S. economy comes roaring back in the third quarter. The anonymous op ed writer comes out. Twitter gets grilled on the hill and the mysterious case of missing
0: Biden documents. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no
2: mistake. America. Great. You're a great American.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like
2: I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
0: It is Buck Sexton. No.
1: Welcome, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Can you feel it? Can you feel less than a week? What are we now? Five days away from the big day. And I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I'm not overconfident, but I'm not underconfident. It's going to be close, but I think the good guys win. We all know what that means. Got quite a boost today to that end from the latest data about GDP growth in the third, uh, third quarter. Q3, U.S. GDP booming at 33.1%, <clears throat> which is incredible. And it, it, look, they had the worst ever quarter in Q2. Now they've had what I believe is the strongest ever quarter in Q3. Uh, yes, indeed. So we've gone, we've gone from the worst quarter to the best quarter. This is really meaningful. Uh, for one, it gives us some real data. It gives some real teeth to the claim made by Donald Trump that the economy is in a period of comeback now, that we are turning the corner, that we are making the necessary adjustments and changes uh, for the economy to start growing again, a lot in 2021, because the left is desperately trying to convince everybody. I mean, the Democrats are pretty much basing their entire electoral hopes, and not just for Biden, for all the Democrat races, on everyone being depressed, being told constantly, being hectored to to wear a mask, always outside, inside, upstairs, downstairs, asleep, awake, whatever. And feel like the economy doesn't actually have a lot of room to room to run right now. And it's only going to get better if you vote for the build back better guy. Yeah, that's the best they could come up with. Build back better. Uh, well, we don't need Joe Biden to build back. We don't need Joe Biden for anything, actually. All we have to do is understand that the president's economic policies for the first Three years of his presidency were astonishingly successful, setting all kinds of records. And then it is a tragedy a global pandemic hit. I think we overreacted as a society to the way we should have dealt with this global pandemic. Instead of uh, taking it place by place and looking at the data and adjusting as we went along, we went for this extended severe lockdown. And now we're going into another series of lockdowns. But the point is. It wasn't a failure of Trump's approach to the economy that caused the downturn this year. We all know what it was. It was COVID-19. It was a pandemic that has hit the rest of the Western world with a ferocity. It hit China badly. Some other countries haven't been hit quite the same way, usually because they have uh, either a population that is just generally less susceptible. That could be for a whole bunch of reasons. Also, They're more easily like New Zealand, more easily able to cut themselves off from global travel and a lot of uh, mixing with the global population. So we see what's really happened here. We understand that Donald Trump wasn't responsible for the downturn in the economy. In fact, there was a downturn because he listened to the experts. Notice how they always tell you that he doesn't believe the scientists. But the only reason the economy tanked in the second quarter the way that it did was because Trump went along with what the science advisors of the federal bureaucracy that he inherited told them needed to be done. And now, as we've started to understand this disease better, have somewhat better treatments and modalities for approaching it, people are realizing that there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. There's a lot of economic uh, economic activity that wants to get going and people want to start opening up businesses they want to start traveling they want to do these things they just want to feel safe enough there's no such thing as perfectly safe right you've been traveling i'm sure for decades of your life during flu season and during other other outbreaks that could have been could have been fatal but there was a low enough chance of that that you go about your life we just need to get to that place where we can all understand who's really at risk who's not and what are acceptable acceptable risks in our society and then we can start getting going again and this is what trump is showing everybody right now with these numbers if we just approach this rationally we'll be in a place where 2021 can be a booming year The, the trump policies unlike obama's policies which were spend a whole lot of money expand the welfare state a lot more regulation more people on food stamps than at any time before that in American history, right? U- unlike the Obama administration's policies, you look at the Trump administration's economy and everything that you can point to to show that they were moving in the right direction is there. You have an anomaly. I mean, you know, sometimes you get hit by a bus even if you look both ways crossing the street. You know, sometimes things happen. That's what has occurred with our economy. It's like a freak storm out of nowhere. This is just what we're facing because of the covid-19 virus. It's not on Trump. And I think this is central because if people just understand that the America we will have going forward soon, if Donald Trump gets reelected, is the America we had a year ago where the biggest questions were, you know, what what are you going to do with the extra money that you have from the tax cuts? And what what field do you want to pursue now that there are fewer regulations preventing you from opening a small business? I mean, economically, these you know, how can you continue to make money in the stock market? We're making so much money. Your 401ks are doing so well. People started to feel like this can't continue. I mean, it's just so, so prosperous. And yes, then covid comes along. But understand where the responsibility for all of this comes and, and where it doesn't. Right. Uh, where does it come in? And Donald Trump's economy alone should be enough, in my view, uh, for his reelection between the, the incredibly strong economy and the fact that he hasn't started a war, that he hasn't put uh, U.S. lives in jeopardy abroad for no apparent reason or no good reason. Uh, Because these are these are things that I think really matter. I mean, these are aspects of day to day life. You know, we're always told the Democrats care so much about these uh, kitchen table issues. And then they want to talk about the Green New Deal. What? People want to know, are they going to be in a strong job market? Are they going to make more? Are their wages going to go up? Are they going to have more real purchasing power? And. You know, are, are they safe and is their property safe and can they walk down the street without getting attacked? Democrats fail on those points. And when you break it down, you see it. Democrats are, are unable to make the case in those key areas in a way that's based in fact and truth. I mean, they're obviously telling people Joe's going to build back better. Joe Biden's best economic ideas are influence peddling and taking money from you right for his son, of course. And taking money from you to give to other people so that they have more stuff. Joe Biden and the Democrat Party of today have fallen into that. That unfortunate theorem uh, that was elucidated not too long ago by Bastiat in the law. I mean, it's a couple of hundred years ago, but not that long ago. Or he said that the people want to live by the fiction that they can live at the expense of every other person. That's really what the Democrats promise. Other people are responsible for any frustrations you have. We're going to take from them and give to you. Just give us the power to do so. That's a zero sum game. That's not a net wealth creation game. That doesn't make people better off in the aggregate. It helps some at the expense of others and creates inherent political and economic divisions. And you know what the only way to solve them are? And this now goes to Hayek and the road to serfdom. Those intrusions into the economy, those intrusions into commercial activity that the government engages in, the people that do that, they always want to do more to fix, to fix the imbalances that they themselves have created. It's like they make endless work for themselves by doing the busy work in the first place of taking things from you and spreading them out into the broader economy. So what country do we really want to live in going forward? The one that pretends Joe Biden and Barack Obama were good stewards of the economy for eight years when all the data shows us that's not true, or the one where Donald Trump was calling the shots and people really felt like our best years were very much still ahead of us. Joe Biden gets into office, and people right now who have, who have kids uh, and people who have grandkids, they will be better off than their posterity will. Future generations are going to suffer as a result of these policies of socialism of central planning of economic redistribution under the guise of social justice. Donald Trump can bring us back not to some fantasy land of the future, to what we had before, which was pretty fantastic. All we have to do is recognize what has really happened and give him the chance. And that's what this 33.1% GDP number shows us today. The Trump plan works, the Biden plan. Is fiction.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just when you thought the media's credibility
1: couldn't be any lower, I mean, how do you go below the basement, right? What's there? Now we're digging into the sheetrock. Now, now we're getting toward the. The magma, the core of the earth in terms of how low the media's credibility can go. Liquid, hot, magma. So they had this, uh, this op-ed published in the New York Times two years ago. And uh, it was yeah, two, tw- the summer of 2018. And I was living in D.C. at the time. I was doing this show, but also working for uh, TheHill.com. And, and so for D.C. folks, this became a big guessing game. Who's the anonymous op-ed writer? And then this op-ed, you'll recall, the New York Times claimed this was a senior administration official, a senior administration official. And we had to take their word for it that this person was of the kind of stature where we would care. We would care that they didn't like what the president was doing, that, that it would matter to anybody that this individual would stab the administration that he was working for in the back. And then, you know, somehow we're, we're going to believe this person, think that they're almost being heroic uh, and, and, and that they matter that. Remember, that's key that they matter. I was highly skeptical the whole time. I mean, people were saying crazy stuff. It's one of Trump's kids. I was like, No, it's not. Oh, it's the White House. It's the White House uh, press secretary or it's no, it's not. It was so obvious. None of that was true. But they had to present something in a way that people would actually pay attention to it. So that's why they said a senior administration, you know, if they say that, you know, an intern at the Department of Commerce wrote something about Trump, no one cares. No one cares. But an anonymous person who's really important and powerful and is working in secret as part of the hashtag resistance against the administration because Trump is so reckless and dangerous. That got a lot of attention because of all the guessing around it. And it's this was all rooted in whether or not you think the New York Times can be trusted, that its judgment can be trusted, that it's presenting this in a way that is responsible and is fair minded, which I know is laugh. Even as I say that to you, it's how can those words even come out of my mouth? But that's That's what they've uh, that's how they set this whole thing up. Well, now we know who the anonymous op-ed writer is. And just as I said at the time, this is some low level schmo that no one cares about. Uh, Just as I said originally on this show, then two years ago, it's now taken us two years to find this out. Guess who this guy is? Some nobody at DHS who is good buddies with fake Tapper and is already a CNN contributor. Oh, what a shock. This, this couldn't be any more perfect. He is uh, the former DHS chief of staff, Miles Taylor. But when he wrote the op-ed, this is the best part, he wasn't even DHS chief of staff, which, let me be clear, would absolutely not qualify as a senior administration official. Nobody gives a crap who the DHS chief of staff is. It's a job like thousands of other jobs in the federal government. Good for you, right? I'm not saying anybody who has that job shouldn't be taken seriously in their role, but this is not impressing anybody in the national political conversation. You know, No one who sits around talking about, oh, I was chief of staff to an attorney general. Who cares? Chief of staff, This this is not something that, qualifies as senior and important government position dhs doj commerce whatever right This doesn't matter but here he is miles taylor who is a senior advisor to dhs when he wrote this which is just hilarious but here he's come out he wants everybody to and this guy he he everything about him fits to a tee what we thought this guy would be i mean he reminds me of uh The pajama, the pajama boy looking guy from uh, who's on CNN now used to work for Comey at the FBI, really doing doing a a lot of damage to the FBI's already tattered reputation. But I digress. Here's uh, Miles Taylor, anonymous op ed writer. Play one.
3: It's a character study of one man, Hmm. the president of the United States.
1: And it wasn't me throwing other colleagues under the bus. The point was to focus on him and his record. And if you go back in time, Chris, our founding fathers did this when they wrote the Federalist Papers to defend the passage of the Constitution. Did they do it in their own names? They did it under pseudonyms and they did it for a reason. Is Madison... And the other authors didn't want it to
4: be about them and their personalities. They wanted the people to debate the ideas. And I wrote this, Chris, because I wanted people to debate the ideas and Donald Trump's character and
1: record. But again, I want to point out to you, I had no fear about putting my own name on the line here. And that's why I did it months ago. So people could come out and challenge
4: me. They could pick apart my record.
1: I mean, what a, what a slimy little fraud. Isn't it, isn't it just so great to see who this is, finally? Yeah, um, his, first of all, he's comparing himself to the Founding Fathers. Yeah, it was about the ideas with them. Does he really think that this is going to fly? We weren't debating Donald Trump's character enough before he wrote this op-ed. Like, we're all so dumb. We don't understand what happens here. If he writes this under his own name, nobody cares. But what he did was used the reckless Trump derangement syndrome-inspired complete lack of judgment from the New York Times. I mean, lack of judgment meaning in terms of fairness and ethics, but they saw this as a ploy. They saw this as a way to both hurt Trump, create dissension in the ranks among senior Trump advisors, and put forward this myth, because that's what it was, that one of Trump's top people, really thought he was a reckless danger and would leave the job. But he knew that if he did, the country would be in peril. This guy, Taylor, is only somebody we're talking about now because he pretended by being anonymous to be more important than he was. And now he's, oh, no, it wasn't about me. Please, dude, you're already a CNN contributor. Give me a break. It's gross. This reminds me of a guy who was uh, at the NSC and... Uh, he he wrote that editorial about how he had been an intelligence professional and Donald Trump is terrible and he's a nonpartisan intelligence professional. And then it came out that this guy worked for Ben Rhodes and donated thousands of dollars to Democrat candidates in the last election cycle. It's like, okay, so you're a super partisan hack, but you're writing an editorial as a nonpartisan intelligence official. These people are just such little frauds, but they're so used to being in these places, in these Media and academic and bureaucrat ecosystems where they get to do this whole oh I don't have any politics.
0: I just happen to always have Democrat politics. Yeah, big shock, folks. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: But I'm not just running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the left-wing mob and the left-wing media, the big tech giants. And I'm also running against the rhinos. You know what a rhino is? A rhino may be the lowest form of human life. He is indeed running
1: against all of those things. He's running against them, and he's very... uh, very gifted when it comes to exposing who his enemies really are that's that's one of trump's great skills he he shows you who his opponents are at their core because they he he deranges them i mean he unbalances them they just all of a sudden lose the ability to to have the artifices and the obfuscations necessary to pretend they're just objective journos or to pretend i don't have any politics man i just hate trump But if if there's one thing about a Donald Trump re-election that I will absolutely relish, and there's many of, there's many things, but if there's one thing that I think is just incredible, it's what a giant extended single digit from a human hand with the other digits clasped down it will be to the media in a way that, I, I mean, I think I might have to go run through Times Square in my underwear doing cartwheels which was, is not a sight anybody necessarily wants to see these days. But I'm just saying, I'm going to be so excited because they, they deserve it. They deserve it, especially when you add the, the icing on the cake of their uh, journalistic malpractice atrocities is just the last 60 days or so with oh, Hunter Biden stuff, the lies in the Atlantic. They went so hard on that. Oh, yeah, Trump, Trump hates the military and thinks they're losers. They really thought that was going to stick. Unbelievable, but he is running against the media and he's running against the rhinos. He's running against people who really want their power back. You can tell some of them have started to emerge a little bit in the public sphere again. I'm not talking about the those weirdos at the Lincoln Project. I mean, others who have been sidelined because they were wrong about Trump. And then instead of working with the administration, you know, any Republican could have been. All right, I'm going to try. I I wasn't for Trump originally, but I'm going to try to help shape his administration and public policy as best I can for the most favorable and most conservative and constitutionally sound outcomes. I'm going to call balls and strikes completely, you know, respectable, sound, repro- uh, sound approach to the Trump administration. But there were some Republicans who decided, no, I'm just going to be on the sidelines throwing tomatoes, not just at Trump, but at Trump supporters, too. Right, That was the the call they made. And look, let's be honest about it. It was. The wrong call. okay. and now they're seeing an opportunity if Trump loses to go back into being the opposition against Biden, which will be a very comfortable place for a lot of people in the media. I'll just say this right now. All of a sudden, everybody on the right will say, all right, well, at least we know we know who the opposition is. So there will be that shift and change. But for the overall, the mainstream media, Trump's victory would be it's just it's necessary. It's a necessary corrective to their dishonesty and to the the terrible stuff that they've done to their their profession. I mean, people shouldn't think of journalists as 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 an ethical profession. I mean, they should really think of journalists the way people think of slip and fall attorneys. You know, they should think of journalists the way they think of uh, people that are, you know, pushing drugs for big pharma out there. Uh, You know, the big big pharma push with the sales reps and everything for years and years who were, you know, there was a lot of very expensive booze and strip clubs and stuff for a while there in the mid 2000s. I know doctors have told me stories about this from the big pharma companies using very often attractive and female sales reps to get deals done. So, you know, when you think of journalists not as these guardians of the republic, but as a profession, it, they're like actors with less talent. That's all I'm trying to say, really. And, and many of them are about as well read as actors, which is not really Well read at all. All you have to do is turn on CNN for about five minutes and you'll see plenty of that. So I want Trump to win for many, many reasons. But one of the biggest ones is the repudiation of the press corps of the mainstream media. The first time around, remember, they were complicit in a sense. That's how they view it. They were complicit in his victory because they were covering his rallies live and they gave him so much attention. Right. You remember that this time around? They took an approach of not picking up his rallies, suppressing information, doing everything they possibly could to stack the deck against him. And the president is right when he says this is the plan. Play
2: eight. Here's a guy gets caught and the media doesn't want to write about it. You know what they call it? Not freedom of the press, suppression of the press. We don't have freedom of the press. You know what? We don't have you understand that we don't have freedom of the press. We have suppression of the press. And there's never been a time when it's more obvious than right now. He's right. We've seen
1: who the journos are. I've been saying this for a long time. One of the biggest uh, transformations in public perception for those who care about the news media and the way they cover national politics and issues in general. And remember, the way the news media covers issues shapes perceptions that affect how we view culture, uh, how we view even pop culture, right? There, There's an entire narrative creation machinery out there, and most of it now is being put either on your TV screen or on your, your computer screen. There's very little actual newspaper reading going on these days compared to what it used to be. Uh, but the, the president understands that they have created this whole apparatus under the premise that they're presenting, they're giving you information just as you need it, just to make sure you're informed when really they're trying to shape your opinion, shape your ideas all the time. And we've entered this period of suppression. But we also, because of social media, and this is a point I often bring up, they can't help it. They show us who they are. You know, you you show me a journalist's Twitter feed. I can look at it for 10 minutes. I'm sorry, 10 seconds, not 10 minutes. I can look at it for 10 seconds and I can tell you if this person is on the right or on the left. That's how easy this game is and anybody else in the business. And honestly, anybody who's even a a strong consumer of news can do the same thing. We all see it. We all know. Who are they retweeting? What stories are they sharing from what outlets? It's not hard to understand this. And this is a return to honesty. I actually think this is better if we crush this idea of an unbiased, neutral press corps. And everyone has to just say, look, I'm I'm a conservative and I report on the news. Because everyone has to have facts that back up their reporting, right? You, you need that. That's the basis for the story. But that's true of propaganda as well. And that's true in foreign countries where there's state media. The regime can't lie about everything. They have to tell the truth about some things or else it doesn't have any real impact in shaping that public perception. But we have journos that show us who they are. And then on top of that, we have on Capitol Hill, as you saw yesterday, tech titans who work hand in glove with the national media establishment to push certain ideas and to suppress others. Ted Cruz had some uh, fiery moments to this end. Here he is addressing the CEO of Twitter, who has got quite a beard, as a side note. But here he is. Play clip two.
3: You forced a Politico reporter to take down his post about the New York Post as well. Is that correct? Within that 24-hour period, yes. But we, you know, as the policy has changed, anyone can tweet so the So Twitter takes the view. You can censor the New York Post. You can censor Politico. Presumably you can censor the New York Times
0: or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of
3: your
5: political beliefs? Well, we're we're not doing that. Uh, And this is why I opened um, this hearing with calls for more transparency. We realize we need to earn trust more. We realize... That more accountability is needed to show our intentions and to show the
3: outcomes. Thank um, you, So I, I hear the concerns and acknowledge them, but we want to fix
5: it with more transparency.
1: Yeah, let's just go with transparency. That's gonna do it. This is like the Biden court packing. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna form a committee, and that committee's gonna look at things, you know, like a committee, and they're gonna be committeeizing to talk about the things. And we're going to get the great ideas and build back better nap time. I mean, that's basically what you get from Biden on that issue. And what you're getting from Jack Dorsey is just another dodge. We're, we're trying to build build up public trust. They don't even, they don't know the first thing about building a public trust. You know what they should do? They should bring in somebody who is effectively treated like an independent ombudsman within Twitter from the right who, whenever they've got a question about something, or whenever they are about to pull a move, like, we're going to ban this person, we're going to ban that person, there should be a representative from the right inside of Twitter, and then we should know who this person is who gets to say, hold on a second, what do you mean? Why are you doing that? Now, I know Twitter's not going to do this, but I'm just saying, their transparency, it's going to be transparency for the next 10 years. Every time it's a conservative who gets... Screwed over here. Every time it's somebody on the right who gets uh, deplatformed or a story that's damaging the Democrats that gets suppressed and they say, oh, but but, you know, it's our terms of service and the algorithms and the but no, it's because the social media giants are overrun with lib activists and even the more senior and more intelligent people who built these platforms in the earlier days, who were the founders, you have to remember You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg is probably pretty reasonable on a lot of this stuff individually, but these companies are terrified. Even the CEOs are terrified of their woke 25 to 35 year olds who are completely insane, who reject the First Amendment in principle, who do not believe in the Bill of Rights and who really think that speech that they don't like is violence. And... They're, they're completely impossible to reason with at all. They are embedded. They are dug in at these companies, and these are the most powerful, well-funded, wealthy media corporations now on the planet. Google, Facebook, Twitter. They are determining what your kids see and learn. They are determining the very verbiage that they read on everything from news stories to how to use a crock pot, everything. That's the kind of control that they wield. It's more than the mainstream media had in the 60s and 70s when the journos realized, hey, we don't have to actually win the argument or present better facts. We can just control all the newsrooms and the Democrats can start winning. And it worked. And it worked. That's where we are. We need to understand what battle we're really fighting. Transparency. Yeah, If we only have more access to their crappy decisions, then all of a sudden there'll be a free and fair information flow in this country.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So let's take a look at
1: what social media giant Twitter thinks transparency means. As we were discussing yesterday on Capitol Hill, Jack Dorsey, the CEO, is testifying. And we we were told in the first week of the Hunter Biden email story that it was Russian disinformation, and that was part of the justification for I Remember, it was Twitter and Facebook that suppressed, I mean, stopped or limited or shadow banned, and there are different ways they can do it, suppressed the spread of this story. You could not retweet the story, and your account could be suspended if you did. So they're taking punitive action against people for sharing a news story published by one of the oldest newspapers in America, the New York Post, founded by Alexander Hamilton himself over 200 years ago. Suppressing it. That's what they decide to do. That's their move. That's their decision. What was that based on? You should ask that question. We should know, shouldn't we? Here's the CEO of Twitter telling you, um. Nothing. Play three.
2: Okay, for both Mr. Zuckerberg and Dorsey, who who censored <clears throat> censored the New York Post stories or throttled them back, do either one of you have any evidence that the New York Post story is part of Russian disinformation or that those emails aren't authentic? Do any of you have any any information whatsoever? They're not authentic or that they are Russian disinformation? Mr. Dorsey? We, we don't. You have no, so so. Why would why would you censor it? Why did you prevent that from being disseminated on your platform that is supposed to be for the free expression of ideas
0: and particularly true ideas? We believed, it fell foul of our hacking materials policy, uh, we judged in well, the
6: happened, Mr. It was hacked. They, they weren't hacked.
3: We we judged in a moment that it looked like it was hacked materials. You were wrong. Surfacing, and and we updated our policy and our enforcement within twenty four hours. Mm-hmm.
1: It looked like it was hacked material. No, what, what you're finding out here is that the CEO of Twitter is telling you that they were willing to claim that something was disinformation based upon disinformation. Or rather, they will rely on inaccurate info pushed along and really just accusations, not even information pushed along by partisans to shut down a news story a couple of weeks before a presidential election. That's that's what you can see from the social media outlets. And this this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. They keep doing this. One of my favorite questions to ask liberals who say that this isn't it's not partisan. Right. I mean, how how do we just just to establish this? How do we know that the news media is psychotically anti-Trump based on the wrongness in their stories about Trump? How many retracted stories? How many journalists have had to actually be? fired from their jobs because they wrote something that was totally crazy about the president? Because they're all negative for the president. How could every story for the president be negative if there wasn't a motivation of negativity behind it? Right. Well, the same thing's true of the social media giants. Why is it that only you know White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany's Twitter account gets locked? Why is it that only people on the right get locked for conduct that no one who looks at it really thinks they should be penalized or or, or punished for in any way because of what I told you before. These companies are run by and the people making these determinations are a bunch of left wing Biden, really Bernie Sanders voters actually. And they believe all this stuff about speech they don't like is violence and ideas can literally threaten somebody about even the most mundane political disputes. Uh, and, and if you don't agree with them, they're zealots and they're absolutists and you need to be silenced. That's an ethos that isn't just all of the Democrat Party. It's all over social media and Silicon Valley.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a
2: powerful party. And the party is totally joined with the fake news media, the lamestream media right there. And they're totally joined with the big tech, big tech. I don't know. Section 230. Does anyone know what section 230 you do? Section 230, I think, wow. You know, tremendous corruption on behalf of the Biden. Tremendous. Do you know you can't find it anywhere in the media other than the New York Post, which I'm very proud of. And they endorsed me the other day, too, by the way. But you can't find it anywhere in the media, anywhere. It's not on any of the, it's not in Facebook. They have trending, they always put me trending. They'll give you 25 things that I've done over my life. They make it negative, always negative trending. But sleepy Joe Biden, with all the corruption, all the theft, all the money they took out of these countries, that we end up paying for in spades. You can't find it on Big Tech, and you can't find it at the Washington Post, the New York Times, because they're crooked, they're dishonest, and we caught them. Right
1: now, as I speak to you, I, I scan the, the uh, CNN.com website. Right? CNN.com is one of the biggest liberal news sites in the world. Uh, they've got stories like, economy's final report card before election shows stunning growth. That's not the whole story. Oh, of course. Trump is taking credit for the biggest and best GDP in U.S. history. Here are the facts. This is a giant... OK, the GDP is really good, but actually it's not really Trump. That's what that's what they're doing here on the on the page. Um, and then there's some stuff on Hurricane Zeta. Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to everybody uh, down in Louisiana, Mississippi, that area. I know they've been hit pretty hard by this one. And then they've got push to slow testing tracks with d- dramatic decline in one key state. So that's right. Uh, the Trump you you scan the the front page of CNN.com and what it's telling you is Trump should get no credit for the massive GDP growth quarter we just we just had and also they're trying to lie about COVID numbers right before the election by slowing down testing that that's the main stuff on CNN is there anything about Hunter Biden Hunter Biden's emails in fact I have yet to see I have yet to see a a single Hunter Biden story of, of any kind on CNN other than people who are doing media criticism of those outlets that are talking about Hunter Biden. Brad Stelter is like, eh, it's so bad what they're doing they're, We're out journalists. We have no partisan acts to grind. You go to NBC News. The economy is showing signs of recovery. Many black Americans are not. I don't even know. And they have that under the title racial reckoning. Um record turnout in Texas largest county could be key to flipping a solidly red state. This is NBC News. Okay, this is one of the the big, you know, kind of watered-down socialist left-wing Democrat news sites. And uh, you know, this is the big corporate friendly, family friendly brand, you know, NBC News. Brian Williams not anymore now it's Lester Holt, but I just love that that Brian Williams was their guy. And then they have in the center. I mean, I just want to point out what what, when I talk to you about narrative and propaganda and what the other side does. We're five days from an election and they're telling you Texas might get flipped blue. uh, You know, the black community is is struggling in ways that show that, you know, Trump is not getting getting it done here with the economy. I mean, I have I I'm just looking at the headlines. I'm telling you, I'm not even reading these articles necessarily. Because most people just look at the front page, read some headlines, and go about their business. Very few people, when you look at news stories, get past the first three paragraphs. That's the way it actually works. But they have in the center here a family endeavor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. They do have, they must have, this must be a, it's about family corruption. This must be a, a Hunter Biden story, right? A family endeavor. Emails show how... The mix of personal and official. Oh no, wait. Emails show how the Pompeos mix personal and official business. Isn't this isn't this incredible gaslight? This is a top story. This is the the banner. This is in the, the first eye line that you will see when you click on nbcnews.com. A family endeavor. Emails show how Pompeos mix personal, official business. That's right. They're not going to cover the Hunter Biden emails and the personal business of Joe Biden, but they will cover the Pompeo emails. You know what they've got? uh, They've got Pompeo for so far. They think that one of his assistants may have like walked his dog at one point or something. You know, that's what that's what they really go for here. That's the kind of stuff that really upsets them. Or, Or might have picked up his dry cleaning, one of Pompeo, one of the secretary of state's assistants may have done something that's technically a personal favor and you know oh my gosh i mean this is this is what we're up against friends so there's there's just a blackout as we know about the hunter biden emails and those stories and that's not going to change that's the media's perspective on all this they they are all in for biden that's not going to change but there was something that was very strange as you know uh, Tucker Carlson's show and I've been saying Tucker show is the best show on Fox and that's been the case all year and the ratings obviously show that now uh, and it's really it's the only Fox News show that's had me on this year which I also think is interesting the only show at Fox News that has me on is Tucker Carlson show but uh, Tucker did that great interview with Babalinsky, who was in, uh, very compelling very credible earlier this week but then last night on his show Tucker had to Tell everybody about something else that happened. Play Clip 20.
4: So on Monday of this week, we received a, from a source a collection of confidential documents related to the Biden family. We believe those documents are authentic, they're real, and they're damning. At the time we received them, our, my executive producer, Justin Wells, and I were in Los Angeles preparing to interview Tony Bobolinsky about the Biden's business dealings in China, Ukraine, and other countries. So we texted a producer in New York, and we asked him to send those documents to us in L.A., and he did that. So Monday afternoon of this week, he shipped those documents overnight to California with a large national carrier, a brand name company that we've used, you've used countless times with never a single problem. But the Biden documents never arrived in Los Angeles. Tuesday morning, we received word from the shipping company that our package had been opened and the contents were missing. The documents had disappeared. Now, to its credit, the company took this very seriously and immediately began a search. They traced the envelope from the moment our producers dropped it off in Manhattan on Monday all the way to 3.44 a.m. yesterday morning. That's when an employee at a sorting facility in another state noticed that our package was open and empty. Apparently it had been opened, but they found nothing. Those documents have vanished. As of tonight, the company has no idea and no working theory even. No idea what happened.
1: I'm guessing this was UPS. Right? It could be FedEx. I guess he didn't they didn't want to say which company, but it's uh prob- I'm sorry. No, I'm guessing it was FedEx, not UPS. Well, I guess it could be either. Who cares? Point is, they have pretty good you know, point to point uh monitoring. And their their loss is less than what you get especially for things if it's, you know, overnighted, if it's high priority. Their loss level is less even than the U.S. Postal Service, which is loses about one percent of the mail, as I understand it overall. And they have no idea what happened. Somebody went in, just happened to go in and get this. I look, I don't have an answer here. And I I, you know, I don't like baseless conspiracy theories at all. And I have to also say that the impression I get is that these were the only they were hard, hard copy docs uh, documents. And they didn't scan them and create copies. That's bad information security practice. So, look, people make mistakes. I get it. Very busy election cycle. And who really thinks that the, you know, the, the documents are going to disappear if you send them FedEx or UPS? I think very few people would. Have, but here we are. Here we are. What could have happened here? Why would somebody go into these documents or go into this package and take out these pieces of paper of all the stuff out there right now. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but as you know, I'm also not a coincidence theorist. Does anybody have a plausible explanation for this? Does, does anybody want to try to venture a guess as to what the, the company is baffled? It's not like Tucker and Fox are saying, hey, something weird happened. And FedEx is like, well, you know, or UPS. Those are the breaks. What can, they're like, whoa. This is weird. This is weird. Uh, And if if what Tucker was saying is not true, I'm sure they would put out a statement right away to say that's not fair. You know, we we have an answer for this. It got stuck in the sorting machine and got ripped up, you know, whatever it is. But no, everyone's saying, yeah, something happened here. Uh, What's the answer? You know, what do we really think occurred in this instance? I, I, I don't I don't know but it does seem pretty fishy and it seems like quite a coincidence how would they have known that these you know that this document that these uh, this package had Hunter Biden related documents in it I have no idea could it could it just be a lightning strike situation maybe do you think it is random random chance
0: I wouldn't bet on it You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The former
2: vice president has been doing this for 47 years. He's been doing it badly. This is a group that he supports. He doesn't want to condemn them. I saw that. He doesn't want to condemn them. You have to condemn. You have to be strong.
1: Citywide curfew in effect now following two nights of protests and Looting in Philadelphia. This all happened because of what seems to be an entirely justified shooting uh, involving a man named Walter Wallace Jr. Who had a knife in his hand. He was brandishing the knife. He did not drop it. And he was within 10 feet of two police officers. And they shot him. And I, I don't know what they think. Meaning the BLM activists, the Democrat Party, what they think is supposed to happen here Instead of this. And also anybody that believes people showing up to a Walmart or a, a Target or a CVS or whatever with moving equipment so they can get like the really good expensive stuff and, and easily transport it to their home or to wherever they're gonna try to sell it if they're not gonna keep it themselves. If that has anything to do with justice, they're crazy. It's not justice, it's an excuse. It's people who are victimizing innocence. Right, those those uh, store owners, those people that are running these businesses and the employees, even because I, I know that there's this whole left wing narrative of national chains, they can afford to lose the money. They can afford to lose the money. A lot of national chains are independently operated franchises. People don't realize this. It's true of a lot of fast food restaurants, for example. And there were there was a Chick Fil A that was just destroyed, ransacked, vandalized. What are you destroying a Chick Fil A for? Right. This is not about making a better country. This is not about justice. And Philadelphia may have another night of it. In fact, here in New York, I know in New York City, they were uh, preparing Bloomingdale's for possible riots. They're boarding boarding it up now. I mean, we, we have to go through this, keep going through this. And they should just start hitting people who do this stuff with really serious gang-looting, you know, And and uh, arson and violence charges when appropriate. People should really start spending some time in prison for this stuff. That's the only way it's going to stop. Otherwise, if you're going to have catch and release, you're going to have no cash bail. And Barry Krasner, who is the Soros loved D.A. of Philadelphia. This guy's a far left wing radical. You know what he gave a statement on yesterday? He gave a really tough law enforcement statement. He says, you know, we're, we're really going to bring down the wrath of my prosecutorial powers. Oh, not on the looters. They were told that they just needed to disperse and that none of them would face really serious charges. There are reports out about that already that they already knew if they got caught. OK, they'll process them and let them go. Nothing happens. No, the D.A. in Philadelphia, Krasner, is uh, calling out Donald Trump. Because Trump wants there to be poll watchers in Philadelphia and Krasner saying, you know, if if there's anything that we think is illegal going on with the election, we're going to come after you. Yeah, I don't think the president of the United States is super scared of the uh, district attorney of Philadelphia. But nonetheless, this is where we are, friends. The Democrat Party has showed you what they're all about here for months. Joe Biden even realizes this is a bad look. It's a bad look. And one of the absolute key states here, you know, you got to win Pennsylvania to win this election. I think all of the data is showing us this. Whoever wins Penn, I I think it's clear to say you cannot win this election for either side without winning Pennsylvania. That's that's what I what the data is telling me right now as I read it, I, I don't see a way I don't see a pathway. Unless there's some crazy stuff that happens with Ohio and Florida, that's that doesn't seem to be the case. So here is Biden telling everybody what he needs to say right now, but the Democrat Party and the media will not will not magnify. Which is, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do all this looting and rioting stuff. Play seventeen.
5: What do you say to Philadelphia residents that are outraged by yet another unarmed black man being shot? By police?
6: What I say is that. There is no excuse whatsoever for the looting and the violence. None whatsoever. I think to be able to protest is totally legitimate. It's totally reasonable. But I think that the looting is just as as the victim's father said, do not do this. It's not what my son... You're you're not helping. You're hurting. You're not helping my son.
1: (sighs) Friends, here we are, being told... Uh, by a journalist first did you hear that what do you say about people that are outraged about another unarmed black man being shot by police in philadelphia he had a big knife he wasn't unarmed uh, Well, now we're just going to say people are unarmed when they're armed is this the new way we're going to do this start with that and then uh biden he, he he wants to do this thing of you know the protests are legitimate why are the protests legitimate They're legal. Protest is legal. Sure. And unlike Democrats, I don't want to take away people's right to use the First Amendment. I don't want to suppress their speech. I think speech should be protected. I think gathering for speech should be protected. But if we're looking at the righteousness of the cause of the protest, what exactly is being protested here? Cops didn't do anything wrong, folks. Let's just all say let's just all be clear about this. What do the cops do wrong? They're supposed to wait till they get stabbed. Is that now the new standard? What's the protest about? People protest because they're angry about something and they want to they have a message and they want change. Is the what is the message here? Sometimes people will attack cops and they will get shot. It happens to black people. It happens to white people. It happens to people in this country of all races and backgrounds. What's the story here? They don't. They don't even pretend like like they're making a serious argument, a serious case. A guy gets killed, and we're supposed to assume, well, he's black, the cops are white, therefore, this is a a racist incident that shows how rotten the system is. He was coming at cops with a knife. End of story. And this is not even the first time this has happened in the last few months in Philadelphia. You know, y- you cannot come at people with a lethal weapon and expect that they're going to just let you ignore their commands when they're in a law enforcement position and this guy's a criminal in the past he's violent crimes you know I mean come on folks the protests are legitimate no the protests are legal
0: is the cause legitimate for this case I don't think so Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yes, Trump would have a very different approach to the economy—a much better one. I think that's clear. Although I know the the libs are arguing that till they're blue in the face, blue in the face. See what I did there? Uh, but sure enough, there is no way to separate that from COVID response as well, and, and the future of. Um, how the two different political parties, two different candidates in this case, would deal with COVID. And here's what the president's trying to remind everybody. Play 10.
2: If you vote for Biden, it means no kids in school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas. And no Fourth of July together. Other than that, you have a wonderful life. It's true. I mean,
1: in essence not on the specifics but it does mean schools will continue to be shut down you won't be able to have graduations uh the democrats are are completely devoted to all these ideas and they don't want they don't want it to change anytime soon they've created an atmosphere of fear and now we all have to live in it they've created an irrational uh intolerance for any risk whatsoever including for those who are At very low risk. I mean, when this disease was spreading in the early days in New York City and it was we were worse hit by it than anywhere else, as you know, I was on the subway four times a day and and in the most crowded places. I was in bars and restaurants. I mean, I, I was basically walking around begging to get covid. I didn't know it at the time. And if they would let me, I would go back to most of that activity tomorrow, knowing that I could get the disease and knowing that my immunity Once I beat it, assuming I beat it, which I'm willing to roll the dice on that, uh, knowing that it wouldn't last forever. But I think it would last long enough that we'd be in better shape by the next time around. I'd have to worry about it, if at all. But this is where we are uh, in the country right now. You can either have a Biden administration that has had all these people in the media and all these uh, left wing activists just constantly pushing the panic porn stuff, telling us, oh, Remember, there were, there was a, you know, what was it? A Kawasaki disease for, for kids. We were supposed to be so worried about that tied into covid, you know, this rare disorder. that all didn't, There was nothing there all disappeared. And, you know, long covid, people are saying that, oh, you never really get better. And then there's all this stuff. Oh, maybe your lungs are always destroyed and ruined. And they keep running these stories and stories and stories. There's really very little follow up to it. And what they should be doing is looking at things like remdesivir doesn't really work. Most recent studies say no, but remember remdesivir, good, hydroxychloroquine, bad. That's what we were told. Remdesivir got approved, even though really doesn't do very much. And they've done big trials of it now, but it still got approved. This is largely just driven by perception. They think that might shorten, I think in 30% of people, it may be shortened their stay in the hospital by a few days, they think. But how do they know people weren't just getting better anyway? It's very very uh, skimpy evidence for remdesivir being a really major, a major tool against this. not a cure, but a tool against this uh, probably not even as good as Tamiflu against the flu. And as somebody who's had the flu a couple of times and remembers, you know, you can take Tamiflu, but a lot of doctors will say, eh, you might get better a day or two sooner, but you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Just get a lot of rest, take good care of yourself. You'll be okay. That's, that's often the approach, but so you have, you have the Trump, Version of how we're going to deal with this, which is reopening things. Here, the uh, White House press secretary Kelly McEnany has also laid this out so that everyone's very clear on it. Play 15.
3: Look, the American people have a very clear choice when it comes to COVID. You can vote on Joe Biden, where you will be locked down. Your schools will be closed. Your churches will be closed. You won't have social gatherings. It will be a lockdown versus President Trump, where where we are safely reopening this country. Americans deserve jobs. They deserve freedom. Joe Biden's modeling his strategy, which is lockdown in the basement. But this president has surged therapeutics and testing and a vaccine in record time. We can control this. But at the same time, we can open this country and not lock down like Joe Biden will do.
1: Amen. Notice the Biden plan for reopen for Build Back Better is always, oh, I'm going to listen to the
2: scientists.
1: We're listening to a man, you know, no joke, no joke. Biden loves to say that he's got these these pseudo folksy phrases that he's just honed over decades of spewing political bullcrap to get elected to office and do very little once he's there. One of his favorite shows. no joke. I'm not kidding. No joke. Oh, wow. Joe, it's like you're it's like you've rolled up your work shirt and you're sitting next to me at the little kitchen table and just telling me about the hard day's work, riding the choo choo with your lunch pail. You know, give me a break. But he's out there telling everybody. They'll listen to the experts and wear a mask. Their only strategy is wear a mask and be afraid. That's it. They have nothing else. Listen to the experts. What do the experts tell us? Uh, Avoid people and wear masks. That's what the experts... There's always this this pretense, this make-believe approach from from Biden and the media and the Democrats that if only Trump would listen to the geniuses out there who are telling him what to do, everything would be better. Okay, what are those geniuses saying? What is Fauci saying? What's Dr. Fauci telling you what to do? Uh, Wear a mask. Okay, we're wearing masks. We're we're wearing masks. Virus is still surging, but we're wearing our masks. You know what they're going to say in two or three months when there are going to be a lot more cases of this. I think the death rate will be considerably lower than it was when it hit us the first time around. But there there'll be a lot more cases. Of this. You know what they're going to say? I'm not wearing masks enough. I'm going to ask you this question: Do you think it's ever possible to wear masks enough? According to people for whom the only real response to this virus. And the only thing we have to do is to wear masks. You think they'll ever admit that maybe that's not enough, not even close to enough. They will not. I can tell you that right now. But Joe Biden, he's got a he's got a fever and the only prescription is more mask wearing. Play 18.
6: And we discussed again the vital importance of wearing masks, of protecting yourself, protecting your neighbor, And to save around 100,000 lives in the months ahead, between now and just after the first of the year. This is not political. It's patriotic. Wearing a mask. Wear one. Period.
1: Wear one. Period. He also likes to do that. No joke, folks. No joke. Period. Wow, that's uh, really impressive stuff, Joe Biden. Yeah, wearing a mask. Uh, You know where they wear masks and have mask mandates? Major European countries like Italy and Spain, uh, where they have huge spikes in cases right now and are going through just straight up stay at home order lockdowns. That's that's what they're heading for. If they're not there already. They've been wearing masks, but I thought all, that's all we had to do. Now they'll come up with some theory. Oh, it's because of young people in the summertime in the. Really? That's what it's because of long indoor exposure. To an infected person is how this gets spread. We all know that. So unless you're going to avoid being indoors with other human beings, you're probably going to be exposed to this at some point if you have not been already. That's where we are. This idea that if we all just wear masks, uh, we're going to be able to, to beat this thing. That was never the promise in the beginning. It was never guys just wear masks. This thing will go away in two weeks. Just wear masks. And in sixty days, we'll be done. Maybe we could have done that. Maybe we would have, you know, been willing to give that a shot. But no, instead, it's always we're not doing it enough. We're not doing it enough. Here's uh, the worst. You know, I, I put up a poll today on on Twitter, and much to my surprise, the poll was was about whether or not, um, the poll was about whether or not uh, Trump should. Oh, sorry, who should Trump? When he wins re-election, the first person he should fire is, and the options were Fauci and Christopher Ray, the FBI director. And so the top infectious disease specialist in the federal government or the top uh, federal investigator, FBI guy, Christopher Ray. About 80% of the tens of thousands of people who replied to that thought Ray should be the first person to be fired. And I, I got to tell you, I think it should be the Fauci. I think that Fouch is a much better choice for getting the boot. Here he is. Remember, listen to the experts. Listen to the experts. I I can assure you we're going to be listening to the experts and it's not going to work. And then they're going to blame us. And when I say us, they're going to blame Trump supporters. The worst results for covid are in blue, very, very blue places in America But the reason we still have COVID is because of Trump and Republicans somehow. Isn't that a fascinating cognitive dissonance that they have just embraced? Here's the Fouch. Just telling you, uh, look, it's really important you listen to him because he's out there letting you know it's going to get worse. It's going to things are going to get terrible. We're we're never going to be done with this thing. You're probably going to wear masks and social distance and have no fun and no life all next year. Maybe another year after that. I'm not going to say it's not going to be at least three years, but it could be three I could be 10, honestly, but you got to do everything I say. But at least for three years, maybe two, you're going to have to not not see grandma or your mom and dad or, or, or have any time with loved ones in an enclosed space. You know, just be outside with them from 50 feet away. No hugs. But this is good because, you, you know, the chance if you get this, there's like a one in 10,000 chance you could die. So you can't you can't take that risk. No one's allowed to take that risk. That's pretty much vouch for you. Here he is. 13.
0: This is going to get worse because we're going more into a colder season as we get through the fall and into the winter. With the holiday season going, we've got to do something different. We can't just let this happen. We're going to have many more hospitalizations and that will inevitably lead to more deaths. So this is an untenable situation.
1: Untenable situation in the winter. Okay. does everybody remember what happened in March? Lockdown. Stay at home orders. Businesses closed. Everyone terrified. Staying in their homes. Did this go away in 60 days? No, it actually shot up like a. Uh, a I was going to say stock market crash. That's the wrong direction, but. Jumped up like a tidal wave. There we go. And now we pretend like if we just do what we did that time, what exactly? Oh, even if it doesn't seem like it's working, it would have been worse. That's the other standard that they have created an unfalsifiable approach to covid-19. Do what we say when it doesn't really work. We'll say you either didn't do it well enough or it would have been much worse. Hmm. Gee. Maybe also what they're telling us just doesn't work, but that's you're not allowed to say that you're not allowed when I say doesn't work maybe it delays the spread by some percentile or some factor, but delaying the spread doesn't actually, if you're looking at it on a public health, uh, you know, from a, from a 30,000 foot view, then what are you putting yourself through all this for? You know, the UK, I think the latest data is that they think they've had a 70% increase in suicides. And a lot of people tragically commit suicide in America every year. UK thinks they've had a 70% increase. That's the latest data that I saw, but don't worry. Oh, and all the cancers that they're finding in, even in Canada now, where they haven't had as bad a time with COVID as we have, but inoperable cancers that could have been identified earlier, but people weren't going. But, so, but don't worry about any of those costs. Be scared. Listen to Fauci. Do what he says, or else. We're going to get the or else anyway. That's, that's what I'm telling you. There, there's, no, there's no future in which Fauci says, great job, everybody. You listen to me. We didn't have terrible things with the virus. No, it's going to get bad. It's not going to be as bad as it was. And he's gonna say, keep doing the annoying, stupid things you don't wanna do, keep masking up in between bites of food. And if you don't, and, and and it's because you haven't done that that we've had the cases that we've had. When in reality, the public health authorities in this country are just Im- impotent when it comes to doing anything about this. They can't do anything, they don't really have an answer. Freezing society in place was considered too crazy and too destructive for a much worse disease when they were modeling this out in the past than what we currently have. But that's really effectively the only answer they can give you. The more open we are, the more people come into contact with each other, just like a common cold, the more this is going to spread. That is just what's going to happen. They can try to say that mitigation, 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 it's not going to stop it. It hasn't stopped it before. But Fauci wants a national mask mandate, and I want to start screaming F-bombs on the radio when he says this stuff by 14
0: you're using the word mandating masks." yes if that works let's do it i don't think it's going to happen nationally Why? if it doesn't happen nationally the reason is because it might it, it may not come from the white house to do it
1: the the, the reason we won't have a national mask mandate is because of the bad trump guy but i'm not political here's something for you to think about fauci has complained about being used in trump ads Fauci has not complained about the fact that he is called out by name by Biden, including on Biden's website, as the guy he'll listen to. Clearly politicizing his advice on this, but the Democrat is fine. It's Trump that he's got a problem with. But he's not—he's not political. Not political.
0: Sure, he isn't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If nothing
1: else, we got to have Trump win next week just to hear Pelosi whine about it afterwards. It's going to be so amazing. She's talking so much smack right now. She's talking. The the president's not going to. He's not enough of a not enough of a man.
6: Play five, Mark. But the easiest thing for him to do is to stand up like a man and accept the results of an election of the American people. For him uh, to make these kinds of statements shows his lack of patriotism, his undermining of our elections, while he allows foreign countries like his friend Putin to undermine the integrity of our election, he himself is doing it as well. But let's forget about him. Let's get on with the future. Let's have the results counted properly that everybody's vote is counted as cast. Let's unify the country as we go forward. Joe Biden is a great
1: unifier. Yeah, just like Nancy Pelosi is a great unifier. It's as though words have no meaning to Democrats. You know, they, they can sit there and trash Trump and all of his supporters and say all these terrible things. They say, say Trump's not man enough to accept his loss. But, but she's, she wants to un- unify the country. She, she just wants what's best for the children. Sure you do, Nancy. The Chardonnay socialist. This is who the Democrats have. As the most powerful elected Member of their party Isn't that all you really need to know This is the best I mean you know You look at our side You get people like You get people like Jim Jordan You get like real solid dudes Solid ladies And you look at their side You just get these flimsy frauds These rich Liberal Snooty frauds Like Pelosi
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, let's hear from somebody who has his finger on the pulse of the campaign of uh, these different uh, races, state by state. This is a man who knows what's up, friends. Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority, friend of the show. He is in the mix. Ned, great to have you back.
3: Yeah, no, good to be back with you, Buck. Uh, very interesting times that we live in and five days away from the biggest election, I think, in U.S. history.
1: How are we looking, Ned? I mean, really, really give us the, the real deal on this one. I mean, I know, you know, you and I can both sit here and say, you know, MAGA, Trump, but which is great. But where, how is this actually going to shake out?
3: Well, I mean, first of all, I, I was just actually looking at early in-person voting numbers in Florida And really kind of fascinating dynamic that's taking place in Miami-Dade right now, uh, Buck. This is a county that Hillary won by 30 points in 2016, then obviously lost the state. So this is is a county that Republicans shouldn't win anything in at any time, anywhere. And they just extended their lead in early in-person voting by 7,000 votes, uh, which is a really stunning occurrence. Now, they're still behind, obviously. I don't expect Republicans to win the overall vote in Miami-Dade. But if they're gonna they're gonna mitigate Joe Biden's win in that county significantly I think over where Hillary won which is obviously huge implications for the overall state uh, as it stands so I, I honestly think that in many ways Florida might be off the table might be going into Trump's column just looking at the trends of, of what's taking place do I think it's going to be a blot no of course not do I think that uh, Trump's in the driver's seat in Florida I do uh, and then I go I go down the map I got to tell you. That decision yesterday in North Carolina, extending the vote, uh, deeply disappointing. Of course, I would remind people uh, that the votes have to be postmarked before Election Day uh, and have to be in by 5 p.m. on November 12th. But still, this idea that we're extending Election Day into Election Weeks is a little troubling because Trump does have to win North Carolina. Uh, I look at Arizona. Surprisingly... Uh, I think Trump is probably going to win, but also might be able to pull McSally across first. Uh, he's got to win by four or five points in Arizona. But I, the, the, the interesting thing, Buck, in all of this, Trump not only has to win the White House, Republicans have to keep the Senate. They absolutely have to. And, and if he if he wins the White House and they take the Senate and keep the House, I mean, we are in for a, a disastrous four-year second term for for, for Trump. So he he knows he's got to keep the Senate. So that's why I'm I'm addressing some of the Senate races as I go through this. So he's gotta he's gotta win Arizona I think by four to five points to pull McSally across first. I think he can win Arizona. Is he gonna win it by that much? I don't know. I think the jury's still out, but I'm seeing some good trends in Maricopa County, which is essentially Phoenix. So I'm 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 optimistic he can pull Arizona out. I just don't know about the Senate. I tell you the Look, t- tell me about some of the big. Democrat. Tell me.
1: Tell me about some of the big Senate races other than McSally that we need to be focused in on as well, because you make a very important point, because I think the Senate, if they have a simple majority, they're going to get rid of the Democrats. will get rid of the filibuster if they keep the House. And now they have they effectively oh, are just going to be lobbing legislative bombs at the White House all day. That's not going to be for a happy at least a happy two years for Trump's second term, maybe a really crappy four
3: yeah yeah no i mean i think they'll move to impeachment again i think they will go down yep. the impeachment path if they have the house and the senate uh it would be an absolute disaster i mean you got to look at north carolina tom tillis obviously with some of the sexting scandal i like tillis's chance of, of holding on in north carolina you move up to michigan john james is running an extremely strong race uh coming down the home stretch it's making democrats extremely nervous they're having to spend a lot more time there spend a lot more money you know i saw a trafalgar poll put john james in a narrow lead uh, they've also put uh, Donald Trump in a narrow lead in Michigan. So you got to look at Michigan. The one that's making me a little nervous in the Senate race is honestly Joni Ernst in Iowa. She is in for a, a fight of her life. Uh, it is neck and neck. We've got to have Joni win that. You know, I think Susan Collins is pretty much gone in Maine. But, you know, she's not, she's not out of it. Uh, and I, I'm not a fan of Susan Collins, but we could use her vote for majority and, and, and you know, keeping the majority and keeping keeping the Senate in the right hands. Um, you know, some of the other stuff I'm looking at, too, though, but going back to battleground states, I've come to the conclusion, Buck, we've got to win Florida. Ohio's off the map. I think it's in Trump's favor. We've got to win North Carolina. We've got to win Arizona. We've got to win Iowa. And then it becomes an issue of the upper Rust Belt states. I feel really good about Michigan. And then I looked at the polls yesterday. We've got teams working with American Majority Action in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Virginia. So I was talking with some of my Wisconsin guys yesterday. And they, they literally said if the Marquette poll comes out today and showing Trump within five to six points, he's going to win the state. Well, guess what the Marquette poll showed? Three to four points favoring Biden. So they think that that actually is a really good sign uh, for Trump because Hillary was up six points in that poll coming into the final week of election day. And she ends up losing the state. So we're seeing some good trends. Did, in, do you see that? Johnson I got I to ask Michigan. you. I got to
1: ask you, Ned. I mean, just because you brought up Wisconsin. So I talked about this yesterday on the show. There's a poll that says Biden's up 17 in Wisconsin. I mean, how can anyone take this stuff seriously? Insane. They,
3: they can't. I, I think at some point we're going to have to have a conversation after the election about some of these polls that are, that are really. I have two theories on this book really quick. One is that some of these polls, again, that was an ABC Washington Post poll. It's it's an attempt at voter suppression. But I think even more troubling I have a theory that if that if Trump is able to win, and I do think he'll be able to win uh, on Tuesday night, we might have to wait a couple of days to have it confirmed. They're going to use some of these bogus polls as justification for the rioting and for the looting and for literally a color revolution, calling for regime change. So the polls are very dangerous in two regards: the voter suppression, also justification for the chaos and sowing dissension post election. And we have to have a conversation about polling moving forward and i tell people all the time i look at trafalgar i look at rasmussen uh, i'm looking at susquehanna and i'm looking at ibd tip which are some of the more accurate polls from 2016 and now i think are probably more accurate in 2020 than the rest i feel pretty optimistic we've got to win so going back to the battleground states i think we've only got to win one of the upper rust belt states we can lose pennsylvania but we've got to win either Uh, We've got to win either Michigan and Wisconsin, one of those two for for Trump to get across the finish line first. And I feel pretty confident that he's gonna be able to pull it off.
1: Speaking of Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority, a guy who knows the political scene, the map, the battlegrounds, as well as anybody out there. Uh, Pennsylvania, Ned, I'm I'm, uh, staking my prognostication ability on Pennsylvania being tight. I think it goes for Trump. But I also feel like people will look back at it. I've been saying it's the keystone state and it's the keystone to the election. Uh, what what are you seeing there?
3: I I won't disagree with you, Block. I will say this to encourage the listeners. I, I We don't have to win Pennsylvania for, for Trump to actually get over 270 electoral votes. That all to say, I sure as heck would like to see Pennsylvania in Trump's calm. The things that give me pause, though, on, on him being able to win Pennsylvania, first of all, the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania utter disaster in destroying the integrity of the vote obviously extending it multiple days that the Supreme Court has now agreed with uh, past election day to count the absentee ballots. But now their unanimous decision that signatures don't actually have to match on the ballot. Just the integrity of the vote, I think, is in many ways shattered in Pennsylvania. And then I remind people, too, uh, in Philadelphia, those precincts, and I'm going to be curious to know how the Philadelphia rise are going to throw this off at all, if any, You know, the Philadelphia precincts, I would not be surprised, Buck, if we see some of those precincts coming out on Election Day at 100 to 110 percent voter turnout, which is, of course, absurd and ridiculous. So I tell people this because of some of these state Supreme Court decisions being held upheld by the Supreme Court because of the ridiculousness that takes place in some of these Philadelphia precincts. I think it's going to be hard for Trump to win Pennsylvania, but if he does, great. I think it obviously it would just be uh, you know a little extra whipped cream on top of the pie. But
1: so just just so I'm clear, if he doesn't win Pennsylvania, he does have to win, win Michigan, Wisconsin, right? He's got to pull some of those states.
3: He's just got to win one of those. He's just got to win Michigan in my electoral college. Uh, you know, he's obviously got to win Iowa and Arizona in my my calculations. But if he wins Arizona and Iowa, and pulls in North Carolina. He doesn't need Pennsylvania. He's got to win Michigan or Wisconsin. I'd like to see him win both just to give him a little extra padding. But, uh, you know, the other thing I'll point out, too, is this, Buck. We've got people in Minnesota. They have They have told me if he can overperform, if Minnesota 7 can overperform, Jason Lewis, who's the Senate candidate, is within one point multiple polls. Uh, Michelle Fishbach, who's running in Minnesota 7, if Trump will go in and he's going into Rochester on Friday into Minnesota 1, I'd like to see him bounce up to Minnesota 7. If we can overperform in Minnesota 7, you might see a surprising Senate win and you might see another surprising state for Trump. We'll see.
1: And Ned, I, I know you also do a, a fair amount of uh, of appearances on Tucker's show. And today, this uh, people are, are looking at this statement last night where Tucker explained that They sent documents about the Hunter Biden emails. I'm just wondering, do do you even have a theory? I mean, you know, I I trust I know Tucker's staff. You do, too. I know that show. We both know Tucker individually, professionally. And if they say it's so with this, I 100 percent believe them, meaning that the facts as they've laid them out. What do we think happened here?
3: Uh, Am I allowed to share a conspiracy theory?
1: Yes. I I can't even come up with a theory.
3: Well, my theory is that uh, honestly, I think there might be some phone phones being tapped. Uh, they, this seems extremely well coordinated. My hope is, Block. I mean, I'll, it, you know, before I go too deep into my conspiracy theory, I hope that there were copies made. I think there have been somewhere that there are copies of some of this information that was lost, uh, stolen in the in the mail from from UPS. So. Uh, I think that this kind of highlights the fact that I think there, is been, there has been maybe some uh, phone tapping going on. There's something a little screwy about how well it was known, the timing, where it was being nailed, uh, what to track, all of these things. I mean, this is, but, you know, I hate to, I don't want to sound too conspiracy theorist here, Buck, but we're up against some pretty powerful forces people that do not want Donald Trump to win, people that do not want Joe Biden to lose people that do not want inconvenient truths to come out in the last few days that could be devastating to Biden's candidacy. And it's a lot of powerful forces inside the administrative state, inside the media, a lot of people that want us to snap back to the status quo. And so you hate to go down the path of thinking maybe phones are being tapped, maybe somebody's tracking, maybe somebody's stealing uh, these packages. But very curious sequence of events that seem... uh, a little hard to explain in a way that it suddenly just disappeared. and That somebody without a plan and without forethought uh, decided to open a package full of documents that could be incriminating, and they just disappear.
1: One more for you, Ned. Do you think that the Hunter Biden email story, especially with the Bobolinsky interview that uh, that was on Fox News earlier in the week, and you know the story is yeah. out there. I know the media is trying to suppress it, but everybody knows about this, right? Everyone knows what's happened. They're just mm-hmm. not trying to. they uh, they're they're, they're acting like they don't know uh, on the on the left in the Democrat media, which is unfortunately 95 percent of the media. Do you think have you seen any data that suggests that this whole Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, China payoff email scam uh, is moving the
2: needle?
3: You know, I don't have any hard proof, Buck. You know, anecdotally, I think it's giving some people pause. I mean, part of the problem is I was just doing my own podcast today in which I was explaining, you know, there are a lot of people that have already voted. Uh, there's not as many undecideds this time around. Obviously, there are a lot of harder lines in 2020 than even in 2016. Do I think that it's going to impact some votes? Yes. Do I think that it's going to impact as many as people think? No, I don't. But even, I, I, again, Buck, go to get perspective, even if it impacts one to two percent of the people voting in battleground states, it's enough for me. That could That could totally swing a state in the right direction. So I do think it will have an impact, but I couldn't give you hard evidence as to how many votes or what percentage of voters will be impacted by it. But I will say this. I mean, the media is doing their best, along with big tech, to drown out the story. But when you hear anecdotally people are talking about Hunter Biden in coffee shops in California, you know that the story has broken through despite the media and tech's attempts to to silence it.
1: Ned Ryan, everybody, of American Majority, the founder of American Majority. Ned, my friend, great to see you, man. Let's hope we have you back. To celebrate together on the show.
0: I hope so. Thanks, Buck. We'll see. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Despite millions, if not billions of dollars of fossil fuel money and lobbying and uh, media campaigns to smear the Green New Deal. A majority of people still believe in this country that a Green New Deal is the right way
5: forward.
1: Nope, (laughs) that's clearly not true, but uh, AOC doesn't care. That's who's going to be pushing the national political conversation more than I think any other figure in a Biden administration, as terrifying as that is, it'll go from AOC to kamala you know aoc to the media to kamala and then biden just go okay yeah yeah green new deal no joke no joke the green new deal is the thing the american people want period that's that's what you're going to be hearing get ready for that even though it's it's flatly insane i mean the people that are really talking about this we're going to transition from fossil fuels why what Are, are you give me a break the whole thing makes no sense. We are. And I, I always have to say this, and I feel like I repeat it maybe even too often now, but we are naturally transitioning away from more CO2 emission uh, intensive fuel sources. And we have been for over 100 years. That's that that's the natural trajectory that we're already on and the, the market and it's all happening. But just like Mao, they want to do a great leap forward for the Green New Deal. And that didn't work out well for China. China. It didn't work out well for China, and it's uh, not going to work out well for us if we allow these radical leftists to get their way with that. They also don't want to allow us to uh, to peaceably enjoy this new judiciary that we're going to have, thanks to Trump, even if Joe Biden wins, which I know I don't want to say it. It it makes me sad, too, but it's possible. Guys, I've been telling you all along this election is going to be very tight. Very tight. I've been saying, I think 272 to 262 is going to be the final Electoral College map. Trump wins 272 to 262. So Bruce and Mark, we can we can notch that one as uh, my my official Electoral College prediction. and we can revisit it next week. Uh, That's a very tight election, obviously. And I certainly hope that I'm correct in this one. I would even... I'd even say uh, so. And we can add to that my other prediction that they're not we're not going to even know on election night. I think we're going to be <clears throat> I think we're going to be uh, looking at this a couple of days after the election before we can finally declare because I think it's going to come out of Pennsylvania. That's what I think is going to happen. We'll see. Wouldn't it be great if I was wrong? Isn't that fun, though? Wouldn't it be great if I was wrong and Pennsylvania is a, you know, a three or four point solid win for Trump instead of what it uh you know Ned Ryan's very confident, much more confident than I am, I should say, about Wisconsin and Michigan. I, I I don't I don't see it, but he's looking at he's looking at a lot of polls. I just look at a few of them every day, so maybe. Um, oh, but uh, back to judges. We're not allowed to enjoy the judges, according to uh, Senator Coons here. Play twenty two.
0: But well, we got to look at our federal courts as a whole, Rachel, because we've seen hundreds of conservative judges put on circuit courts and district courts all over this country in the last four years. In many cases, too young, too unqualified and too far right to be allowed to sit peaceably without our reexamining the process, the results and the consequences. There we go.
1: They want to remove some of these Trump judges. They're going to agitate for that. They're going to try to impeach them. You wait. It's going to happen. If you think the Democrats have been crazy While Trump has been president and they have had limited political power, just wait until what they're willing to do when they think they have a mandate of a narrow, you know, one percent overall vote victory for Joe Biden. If that happens, which is why we can't let it happen, folks, get out there, do everything you can do. Everyone's got a role in this fight. Get out there, get friends, get family, post on your Facebook, do what you got to do. Make sure people get out there and vote for Trump.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody.
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us or you can send us a message on the gram, Instagram, Buck Sexton. I got to start upping my TikTok game, too, because now now apparently conservatives are allowed to be on TikTok. Yay. Uh, So, a couple of updates. One Dracula podcast going up tonight. Going up tonight, friends, as as promised, it'll be done before before uh, midnight Eastern time that I can promise you. So and hopefully many hours before that. But certainly it'll be up tonight. The Dracula podcast, the real Dracula, straight up history. Incredible stuff. Dracula was a figure on the front lines of Christian, Muslim, Ottoman, Christendom warfare of the 15th century. This guy was raised in the Ottoman court, became a a friend, essentially, of the guy who then became the sultan, the most powerful man in the world at the time, learned all of the Turkish ways. Remember, Turkey was the most powerful. It was called the Ottoman Empire. But, you know, the, what is in modern day Turkey was the most powerful uh, military and political and economic entity in the world at the time. Certainly, in the Western world, and maybe you could talk about China, but you know the Ottoman Empire. No one could match the size of the military they could put in the field, and they were trying to conquer Europe. They were going to make their way up the Danube River. Uh, first was going to be uh, uh, was going to be Belgrade, the fortress of Belgrade. They tried to take that. Then next would be Budapest in modern Hungary, and then beyond that, Vienna. And as we know, they made it to the gates of Vienna twice, trying to. If they had been able to take Vienna, the idea would be then to continue to use the Danube as a, as a highway of resources and reinforcement and then push further and further. They would have made it all the way to the they would have made it all the way to the coast of, of France. And uh, after that, who knows? That was the plan. That's what the Sultan wanted to do. And one guy standing in the way in the middle of 15th century, right after the fall of Constantinople, too, which was a huge blow to the christian forces was uh, vlad uh Tsepesh, vlad the better known as dracula and the, the the stories the way this guy was able to stay in power get into power three different times actually as the the prince essentially but the, the leader of volakia uh, which was the province that he actually spent the most time in and transylvania is often associated with him the battles that he fought and he was involved in turning back a hundred thousand person. He was the leader who turned back a hundred thousand person invasion force of the Turks, uh, which people thought was just going to be impossible, right? How could you stop this? I mean, this would be like, you know, some small country stopping the Nazi blitzkrieg with a force one tenth the size of the German force, one fifth, the size of the German force. So, it's an incredible story. And then, yes, also, there's all the Strigoi, Romanian folklore, vampire history. I, I'll get into I get into that. And uh, and then the, the atrocities that this guy committed. I mean, that's the other part of it, too. He he did love to impale people. I mean, he impaled thousands and thousands of people, a an incredibly painful, gruesome, torturous form of execution. And he did it. They estimate. 20 to 100,000 victims of Dracula. Yeah, this guy, he had them set up in the courtyard of his palace and he would leave the bodies impaled so people would come to see him and there would be impaled bodies. It's, and, and the the tortures that he inflicted even beyond impalement on people, I mean, it's really, some of the stuff I had to cut out from the research just because I can't even describe the kinds of mutilations and terrible stuff that he did. Look, it's a Halloween horror podcast in part two, Right. But I, I cut it out. So it, it's you, you can have kids listen. It's not there's nothing in it that's uh, you know, there's no no sexual stuff and nothing uh, that's, I think, too graphic for kids to know about. As long as you're OK with them hearing about what impalement is, which they call this guy Vlad the Impaler for a reason. So I, I, I some of you I know are listening to this all across the country on our 180 radio stations. Uh, if you have not already, please just subscribe to a podcast wherever you do. Uh, subscribe to the Bucks Sexton show because this will be in the feed. It'll be under Shields High, the real Dracula, and it's out tonight. And great listening for the Halloween weekend. You know, if you're somebody that's going to be doing a little bit of uh, celebration, you know, preparation at home for some pumpkins and candy and stuff with the kids. Listen to the real Dracula podcast, man, because it's some good stuff. I think you'll I think you'll want to listen. Sorry, I couldn't help it. So. Let's get to roll call. Oh, but we got a producer, Mark Roll Call, I want to get to you first. Mark, you, you're actually agreeing with me that de Blasio now, and you know you, you, you te- keep an even hand on politics and focus on,
5: on other things mostly, but you agree de Blasio is the worst. Why is he the worst? I can't imagine that any human being doesn't agree that de Blasio is worst. He has this way of uniting everybody, and we need That's a true. uniter. He unites Democrats and Republicans in hating him. And his latest thing that he's doing, and he's trying to, so the Mets are up for sale. Uh, They're about to be bought by Steve Cohen, who's a hedge fund billionaire. And the, um, I can't think of a word that's safe for radio. You know the seven dirty words, George Carlin sketch? Mm -hmm. All seven of those words is what I'd like to call Bill de Blasio right now, but I can't. So use your imagination. Uh, He's trying to block the sale. Basically, there's something in the lease from Citi Field, which is on New York City property. So the mayor technically has to approve. It's a bunch of legal crap. And uh, it seems like the New York Post is reporting that he told his legal team, find a way to block this. I don't want a billionaire to own the team, which is absolutely the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, The Post article also says that it's unlikely uh, that this will end up happening, that even if he tries to block it, the Cohen's lawyers will end up, you know, fighting him in court. But the problem here is for Mets fans is that's a month, two months, three months that Steve Cohn's not buying the team, not spending money on players and doing all that stuff. So uh, Bill de Blasio is just a despicable human being and the worst politician yeah, ever.
1: This, look, it's a social justice thing for him. Just doesn't like billionaires. Even yeah. though I know from, it's true on global sports, you know, you have some of the biggest uh, soccer teams, football, but soccer teams in the world have been bought by billionaires, Russian and, and even uh, you know Middle Eastern money, Russian money coming in. And it's made these franchises effectively super teams because guess what? They'll write whatever checks they have to, not just to buy the best players in the world, but also to make the stadium absolute, absolutely state of the art to make the it, just everything about it is upgraded because there's the money to do it. So I assume it would be
5: like that with uh, with the Mets. It'd yeah. be a great thing for New York City. But Steve Cohen would be the most rich owner in baseball by double. He would double the uh, the second most rich owner.
1: Yeah. And and I you and I, I know enough about professional sports to know you got a guy who's got bi- literally billions to spare and could still be a billionaire. Yes. Um, you're going to have a good team. <laughs> you're, you're going to pay for great players, great management. Great training, great everything, and uh, then you will have a great and team. And the man
5: so. grew up a Mets fan, and this is what Mets fans have been dreaming of forever: a Mets fan buying the team that has an unlimited checkbook that can finally yeah, make. I, them I'm great. actually
1: thinking about how much I would love it if that happened to the New York Knicks. You know, but I mean, they the do Dolan. have a
5: very rich owner, but he sucks.
1: But he's the worst. He's the worst. and he doesn't even really care about basketball. Well, it's you know, it's gross. All right, all right. So anyway, producer Mark lay, laying it down on De Blasio, which I can I can never get enough de Blasio bashing because he deserves it Pablo first up in roll call hey Buck with the Babalinsky accusations with evidence out there what happens if Joe Biden can't pass his security clearance I was a submarine radio man on a boomer and I know there was a significant background check for that this is the president of the United States food for thought shields high well Pablo very good question for which I have a very clear answer if you are elected office and that office comes with access to classified information guess what there is no security clearance you just have one that's right the president of the united states is de facto chosen by the people they trust him there is there is no security clearance process for the president same thing with u.s senators yeah i know isn't that isn't that quite a thing same thing with members of the house of representatives They get a clearance. There may be some perfunctory stuff they do in the background, but trust me, there's no there is there if for the president. I know for a fact you just you are cleared for everything. If you're president, there's no limit, which is the way it should be. Can you imagine like, yeah, we're not going to. Well, actually, the uh, Obama administration was taking that approach with James Comey, you remember, and DNI Clapper and all these other idiots. They didn't want to tell Trump certain stuff about Russia, even though he's the incoming president. How's that going to work? But there there you had the deep state in action. But yeah, Pablo, no, it won't matter. Uh, Biden will have access to everything. And that also means he'll be able to cover up things and go on offense. The people that are telling these Hunter Biden tales right now, and they're true stories. I don't mean tales as in their myths or anything. But those who are pushing this story, uh, it's not above Joe Biden to have the IRS or the DOJ go after some of these people. Joe Biden's Biden's not, not above that. No, sir. I think it's actually very possible that he will want
0: a little revenge for the fam. Yeah. Get ready for that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right.
1: The roll call keeps on a rolling. PJ. Gents, how do you feel about Trevor Noah? Heard yesterday about Colbert, so figured I would ask. Well, let me
5: pose this one to Bruce Mark first. Bruce Mark. You uh do you, do you like do you think Trevor Noah is funny? I don't think I've ever watched his show once. I've only seen clips because I have to cut them for you.
1: Yeah. Um okay. So there that's Mark's uh, answer on this one. And did you tell me you saw the out the new Borat and it wasn't funny? I, I did the first
5: watch it cuz you know just it, it's everywhere. Yeah. I wanted to see what it was. There were a couple of moments that were funny, but it was mostly political. The first one was good, granted I was in middle school. But still, uh, the first one was comedy. This one, the first was, one was mostly most political.
1: Funny. I mean, the first one had funny stuff, but that's see, that's I know. All you have to tell me is that it's ruined. He's just trying to be woke, and you woke is not funny. You can't be funny if you're woke. That's the the problem that uh, we see happening over and over again. Um, now we also, uh, you, oh, you asked about Trevor Noah. Um, no, he's not funny. I've never seen him do anything. I've never seen him say anything that is funny. His his. He's got a staff of writers. He's not funny off the cuff. A lot of his jokes are cringeworthy. And he's really just a political commentator with jokes. With jokes thrown in. But it's political commentary for the left and for libs. And he really took... The Jon Stewart show in its day was a, was a pretty powerful force because it was... Jon Stewart was good at it. I give the guy credit. He was good at it. Uh, the whole thing was dishonest and it was lib propaganda. But it was amusing. Uh, Trevor Noah is not funny. For for my money. I mean, I've never watched the show in its entirety, but I've watched many segments because they will get political attention because of all the political commentary he does. All righty. Next up here, John. Hey, Buck and Mark. You mentioned Natalie Holly recently. I thought back on a funny story. My family and I went back to Aruba with five other families back in 2007 and stayed in an all-inclusive resort. Me and my buddy were hanging at the bar, and someone in our group told us no one could find one of the girls we were with. So there was a huge search party for three hours looking for her. Mind you, we had quite a bit of adult beverages in us, so me and my buddy gave up and got some food. Everyone got extremely upset at us because we didn't care. Turns out she was just drunk, swimming by herself in the ocean at midnight, uh, so we became pariahs for the next days. Thought it was interesting how you said Aruba is one of the safest places to vacation. That's what we thought at the time. Thanks, and Shields high. Yeah, John, the Natalie, Natalie Holloway case became like this global phenomenon I mean, you know, it's one guy. That guy, what was it, Joran van der Sloot? And is he dead? I think did he get killed in prison or something? Something happened to that guy, or did he kill somebody else? I don't know. He's the guy's bad news. Um, but it looked like this guy, you know, may have may have killed the girl, and then the prosecutor was his dad and helped covered up. I mean, that was the whole theory. So, uh, yeah. Uh, aruba is not a not a dangerous place at all i've been i love it i'm probably going to go back as soon as i can i think it's really really nice Uh, beautiful beaches very nice people simon hey buck uh with the confirmation of amy coney barrett in the books i think it's possible the democrats may concede the election after all because a legal fight that ends in the supreme court will be shot down by the five conservatives of course it's possible they may do it anyway just to cause chaos but even they can probably see it won't be worth it what do you think also, as a CIA analyst, what do you think of the Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime? Accurate? Shields high? Uh, well, Simon, I, I think that, yeah, maybe at the Supreme Court it will go the way of Trump if the election comes down to that. But remember, the left is going to want to fight tooth and nail every step of the way to prevent a Trump victory. So I don't think they're going to concede. Why, why concede when they can fight and drive up more donations and people will build names for themselves politically as hashtag resistance so no i don't see that and could be wrong simon but and as a cia analyst what do i think of the jack ryan series on amazon prime uh the first season was was entertaining but not realistic at all um when I say realistic, I know it's never it's a show, right? They're not going to show analysts like making coffee and, you know, going to the restroom and stuff. So I get it. It's not a documentary, but it was a little too, you know, one second he's an analyst. The next second he's at a black site. Now he's got like, you know, terrorists breaking in and everything else. But it was entertaining. So I give it the second season. I bailed on because it was just so dumb. It was so bad. I got three episodes in. And I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, let's see. Jeff. I really enjoy your show. Recommend it to anyone who will listen. On the subject of the Biden family corruption, I think more attention needs to be paid to following the money. If Hunter and the rest of the family are obligated to give Joe one half of the earnings, this would be reflected somewhere. A gift tax return, Form 709, would would need to be filed if these dollars are being gifted to him. Otherwise, that is a crime as well. Biden claims he's given over all of his tax returns, but has he? I wish the media would do their job and investigate. Fox News shouldn't be the only firm digging into this. Mainstream media is making me sick. Keep up the good work. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your support of the show and telling people about this show and how they can listen, which is so easy. You can just send, if you go on any of the podcast app uh, or platforms, uh, iHeart, iHeart iHeartRadio app, uh, Spotify, the Apple Podcast Store, You can just click link and share it to somebody. You can text it to them. You can email it to them. That's the best way you can get more people listening to the show. And I really appreciate it. Whenever someone does that, they're they're doing us a huge favor. Um, And yeah, I wish other media outlets would do their jobs, but they won't, Jeff. But thank you for your support for the show. Make sure you guys look for that Dracula podcast out tonight. Dracula, you're going to love it. It's quality stuff. Shields high.